0: You're listening to the Dude Grow Show, coming straight out of Denver, Colorado, bringing you marijuana grow knowledge, news, and culture.
1: At the tone, the time will be 420. Exactly.
0: hey dude grow show coming at you with some grow talk how's it growing everybody what's going on scotty you hanging out scotty hello anybody Oh man, Scotty called in sick, guys. This is going to be the dude covering it today, but actually it's going to be a lot of things. We've got a great show today, guys. Mr. Reels is out. He's out on the couch with a tummy ache or something like that. So uh, what we got coming at you today is actually, I was uh, talking just before the show with the Hortalux rep, so I got a little news from uh, one of y'all, one of the DGC, one of our listeners was going to a shop in Cali, ran into the Hortolux rep, and was telling him he dug our show and that uh, he was actually running those Power Veg T5s that are out. Uh, if you guys haven't heard of those, in a nutshell, new T5s the only T5 bulbs to have, I believe, have a one-year warranty, but they also have UV in them. So the, this person uh, reported that, this grower, I should say, this listener of the show reported to the rep that the, a few things which I liked, good feedback, overall healthier he said he could see it in the color, the color of the plants, as well as, you know, when you're running T5s, you don't have to have your lamps right on top of the canopy, but really close. You know, at times I'll have my T5 lights literally within two inches, sometimes an inch and a half if I'm pushing it, uh, of the canopy. And he, this, this grower is reporting that you can have them lifted up, uh, not as, you know, not super high. They're still T5 bulbs, but, and not get the same stretch. Who's having to reduce in stretch with the uh, Power Reg T5 from Hortelux, so. That's some that's some grower feedback on the Power Veg lighting. So, dude's running some in his eight bulb. Go hook it up. If your store doesn't have them, tell me you want some. They're available from all the distributors. So, that's my my grow equipment update. As Horlux being one of the one of the believers in the Dude Grow show. So, let's without further ado, let's get into here, guys. Uh, today for the show, me Scotty. Jake from Growmore and his buddy Doctor Tom, we're all hanging out on a four-way call. Uh, we've got tons of grow information. Doctor Tom is very accredited uh, entomologist as well as many other fields. And yeah, man, I think you guys will really enjoy how this uh, this talking, this grow talking went. And before I keep rambling on, without my co-host, uh, sit back, relax, smoke a J, and uh, and enjoy. Uh, hopefully, Scotty will be back here by Wednesday for what's growing on. Thanks, guys. Here you go. That bull- what shit looks good? Shit's danker than a motherfucker. That shit look
1: good? I mean, how's the smell? How's it taste? Is it grown right?
0: It's
2: grown straight up with recharge, homie. She.
1: Look, listen. Grower, tell your crew I'm looking for one of them bad ass purple buds. No doubt. The recharge buds. But if it ain't all that, you know if it ain't up to what the dude is scotty
3: real is growing
1: oh yeah already know what to do
0: if you got little buds tell your
4: boy recharge it up if you got root rot tell them boys recharge it up if you got
0: yellow leaves then tell your boy recharge it up if you want to grow them big fat buds, and all you do recharge it up If you want to grow that stanky shit, then tell them boys, we charge it up. Damn it! What's up, everybody? We are back with a uh, interview. I mean, straight from on the road. We got Jake from Grow More. You there, Jake? I'm um, here. How are you? Good, good, man. Who who, who are you hanging with today? I mean, I've heard some uh, some some good. I want to call them rumors, but Scotty says we're about ready for a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, man. You want to talk about dropping yeah, science?
2: Yeah, if you thought dropping science, we're going to take it to the next level, to the cube level, dropping science times three, and uh, (laughs) yeah, so I've got with me driving up to Northern California right now, we're doing some work, is uh, Dr. Tom Quick, he's a mentor of mine, and also the global sales manager of GrowMore. he's a PhD in entomology, which is a bug doctor for all you guys out there, got his uh, doctorate at the University of Wisconsin, and is one of the... um, vice chairman of the
5: Organic Fertilizer Association in California. So besides the IPM background, he's got the organic background. You know, true to form, burned every crop in the world, he'd say. He's our international global sales manager, and it's a real pleasure to be able to bring him to the show and and talk about uh, the
2: plants you guys are growing and and helping out. Dr. Tom? Yeah. Well, thanks, Jake. Uh, I got to qualify that burn every plant in the world. I was the guy that developed safer soap back in the ag days, back in the 80s, and uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about now, and we've got mites on crops and stuff about, some of these selected materials we use, they have that, that trade-off that, you know, the, what we're doing there is we're killing a mite by dissolving the wax layer on the outside of it, same with an aphid or a root aphid, but that same plant we're trying to grow has that wax layer, so... I always make a joke when I'm talking at, let's say, a Max Shields show about, man, I burn every crop in the world. And we don't <laughs> want any of those phone conversations. We don't want to burn anything anymore. But we got to, one reason we try to integrate all this stuff in your whole production scheme is that we've got to balance all these inputs. So uh, anyway, I'm, I'm happy to talk about IPM. It's been in my heart for a long time. I came out of UC Riverside in the 1970s. And uh, we uh, set out at that time in the world to really uh, try to alleviate a lot of the real hard pesticides in the world. And we're lucky now; we got a lot of safe and selective materials. And that's what it's all about: getting that crop out as perfect as we can without doing a lot of poison or harm to the
4: world. Yeah, yeah amazing, man! I, I love it. You know, I mean, it's it's that, that's some impressive stuff, man. Like well, I Hell got yeah. to I gotta say, safer safer save soap saved my butt a couple times, man. So you you ain't gonna hear no complaining from me.
2: Yeah, no, they're, they're good products. There's uh, some real interesting ones in the market now, and actually some ones that are a little bit better because you're not dealing with some of that, some of the drawbacks of those materials. But there's a lot of cool stuff that we can talk about. And uh, like I said, again, you know, hit me with some questions. We can taper it in on medicine or whatever we want to work on in terms of indoor crops, outdoor crops. i Happy to blow
4: out. Yeah, I want to say it is a pleasure that we can get guys of your caliber now coming in to uh, give us specific advice on cannabis. Used to be something where we'd have to you know, try to find some, some advice we got for tomatoes and see if it worked. Uh, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a real pleasure. And it, it, I think it's going to be a real upgrade to the community as far as we've got a lot of people that spray Floramite because they don't want to, you know, because they, uh, you know, they're in week six of flowering, you know, or they want to spray Avid as, as, as an IPM. <laughs> Those aren't IPMs. So uh, wh- tell me, I want to know what you th- what, what do you define an IPM as?
2: Well, yeah, I, the term IPM originally was developed back in the 1970s, and some of my mentors at UC Riverside, uh, guys like Earl Oakland, Vern Stern, these are guys that have passed away now. But the uh, what it was about is, if you, if I'll roll the clock back a bit to right after World War II, what we call the Green Revolution. In 1945, we had all of the... Hybrid plants came along in the world. We had irrigation. We had synthetic fertilizers, and then of course all the synthetic pesticides. And by pesticides, I mean everything from insecticides, fungicides, herbicides, and rodenticides—all the sides, if you will—not right. side <laughs> orders like your meal, but sides like we're killing stuff. Um, all that stuff got came out in, in huge numbers, and and there was the cool thing about all that is that. I'm a student of that time in life of the Green Revolution. One of my heroes in life is a guy named Norman Borlaug. He got the Nobel Prize for, uh, he was a, actually a plant breeder who did uh, genetic lines of wheat that were resistant to a lot of the fungus in the world, a lot of the, the diseases that were wiping out wheat. And if it, he, yeah, back in the 70s, we were talking about world food production and not being able to meet the demand in the 80s and so forth. But anyway... Long story short, what happened is originally right after World War II, people weren't really spending a lot of energy or professional thinking about how we're going to control pests. It was really easy to go out with a product like an organochlorine insecticide. The most famous one, of course, is T-T. You could spray every Friday, not think that you never had any insect pests. So, guys doing all this, you know, every crop in the world for 50 cents an acre, you could control all your bugs and then go to the tavern in the afternoon.
4: It sounds well, like a badge they would give the- you spray every Friday. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, you know, it was a good thing for everybody, but then, of course, Mother Nature catches up, and we got all the problems with resistance and all the problems with environmental pollution and so on, and I'm not picking on that particular chemical, but—so, what happened in this uh, hotbed of thinking, which we know is California— The etymologists in the world got blamed for all this insecticide resistance and polluting the world and the environment. So a a lot of far-thinking people sat around and said, oh, wait a minute, what we really need to do here is put professional people out into the fields. We'll get people out of Riverside, Davis, and all the ag schools. We'll train them to make decisions on how to do all this pest management instead of just using chemistry, Without thinking about it, what we'll do is we'll go out in the world, we'll figure out what we need to do, when we need to do it, and how we can integrate it or combine the best materials to do that. And that's the integrated part of integrated. The pest part, of course, I've already defined. And then management. The key concept herein is using people who are trained, experts, if you will, to make decisions instead of just going out on a calendar basis and not thinking what we're going to do is we're going to hire experts. Just like if you're going to go and the- you're done, you're going to go hire a professional dentist. Well, we put professionals out in agriculture with whatever crop you were growing. If you were growing cannabis or medicine or anything like that or any of the field crops or anything for food production, food or medicine production, you now had an expert involved. And so I'm that generation. I got done with my Ph.D. in 1985, and uh, my philosopher doctorate degree is in integrated pest management in coal crops. That's cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, and so forth. But uh, all those years in Riverside and stuff back in the 70s, I've worked on every crop. And I kind of laugh, Scott, I got to tell you. I used to get a lot of phone calls when I was in the beneficial insect-rearing business of people growing Outdoor tomatoes that had a lot of mites <laughs> on them. Oh, so <laughs> uh, so we Oh, okay, Jacob, Jamaican tomatoes. <laughs> I
4: love Jamaican it. Jamaican tomatoes. They would have only known that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we were always trying, we were always trying
2: to euphemism and I'd always say, okay, you're growing cannabis. What are you doing right now? What are you solving? You know, back in those days, we probably, in our outdoor growth we weren't real sophisticated, but we had grasshoppers would be a pest, occasionally sure. mites. But So, dude, you fast forward to now and, I've actually sort of changed in my career. I've been, I've been at this for so many years. I used to always give integrated pest management talks, IPM talks. We're always talking IPM. Well, now I've changed the terminology to say integrated production management because you know, in these complicated systems, when you listen to brother Jake talk about all the fertilizer input, all your water, your lights, everything you do, if you don't have the whole production system-managed, you never get to the pest because you're not going to have a damn crop. And it's the same with a tomato grower or a strawberry grower. If we don't start with the right genetics, if we don't start with irrigation, we don't have the fertility, we don't have the whole production system, we're not going to be worried about mites because we won't have our crop. Yeah. So now when I talk IPM, you can get that into everybody's head. It's it's integrating all of those production elements. And so, now a lot of times when I'll say it, I'll be on a max yield information panel, people want to zoom in on some specific topic, like, say, mites, for example, because they're devastating when you get them bad, but so are root aphids and those kind of things. So, along those lines, we have a lot of really cool stuff to talk about, and I'd be happy to go there, but I'll let you talk a little moment.
4: Uh, I mean, you just had a hit on two hot buttons right there. I mean, so when we're talking, so. And now, Man, now you got me in a trap where I don't even know if I can use integrated pest management anymore.
0: Hey, man, integrated production
4: management.
2: (laughs) No, 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 just just keep calling it IPM. Just be aware there's two topics I just want to get people thinking broadly. But when we focus on pest, man, IPM is still the
4: cool deal. I, I dig it. I dig it. Okay, so what are our tools? What's in our IPM toolbox here, man? We've got some oils. We've got some beneficials. We've got some fungi. What What do we got to work well, with
0: here? And I, I also want to say, too, Dr. Tom, that focus some on, I don't think we have enough emphasis in our, our indoor, even our hobby rooms here in the cannabis realm. I just, myself, for the first time in many years, used uh, Galandromus occidentalis, if I said that right, for some hemp russet mites. But and I used to use predator mites back in the day, too. But, yeah, on top of the, the botanical oil extractions we're seeing, but then, yeah, also really want to learn about how people can use beneficials more and why they should. Yeah,
2: cool point. Now, I was going to go right there. But, uh, Scott, your question initially, you know, we always use the sort of uh, visual image of a toolbox. And when I started back in the, in the 70s and in the early 80s, we didn't have a lot of safe and selective pesticides in our box because that was the years of the old uh, organochlorines and we were still dealing with organophosphates from World War II. All that chemistry was still around. right? And yeah. The earliest stuff we had is we had in the 1970s. We came along with bacillus thuringiensis, or BT products for caterpillars. We had soaps and oils and some of the things like sulfur and some of the, uh, you know, the mine mineral thing. That was about it. You really didn't have a lot of tools. Uh, just fast forwarding to now, now you have dozens and dozens of compounds. You have a lot of uh, safe and selective materials that allow you to control pests. And I feed right away into the idea of using a pesticide because one of the main reasons is they're very, very flexible, very cost effective, and they give you immediate results. But my background and my real true passion in life is biological control of insects. I love what nature can do with predaceous mites. If you stand out in a balanced ecosystem in nature and you actually observe, stand there having your favorite beverage or whatever if you're enjoying that afternoon, you can observe around you a whole food and insect and life web that has predators and parasites and everything working in balance. Unfortunately, when we bring a crop into a monoculture and grown intensively indoors or even is a monoculture outdoors, we create a food source that's artificial and stressed, and that's why we get pests that blow up. But on that note, back in uh, an interesting factoid, which people don't remember, those of us who have not worked in the pesticides over the years, which I have worked on, back in the, in the nine, 1990s, Shimagigi, which was a pharmaceutical company or still is, uh, they made a decision that they're not going to have any pesticides that are of uh, danger or warning labels by the year 2000. Now I realize that's in ancient history now, 15 years back, okay. but what it did for the, those of us in IPM is they they lived up to that. Now Syngenta owns those product lines, so the, the key is you have dozens of registered things like spinosad and all these materials that are organically certified they are safe and selective. So now, I mean, you've got a whole generation and a life going forward, you guys are trying to do bug control and pest management in an integrated way where you've got stuff that's safe and selective will allow you to put out predaceous mites and still spray a miticide that will help those things be more effective. But So, Scotty, I jumped all the way away from that toolbox. Let me go back to it. No, I love it. basic things that are in there, we start out with good genetics. You want... If you've got resistance in a plant, say to a pathogen like root rot, or you've got it resistant to say a rust fungus, or you've got something that has insect resistance in it, genetics is your first foundation. You know, if you look at that guy, my hero, Norman Borlaug, the Nobel laureate, he gave us wheat that to this day, doesn't have to be sprayed with fungicide because it's genetically resistant. Okay, so we start with good genetics, that's number one. Then you got the environment. If you're growing things in a healthy way, balanced nutrition, the right water, air, light, temperature, you're not stressed, it's the same in our human bodies. If you're all cool and healthy, you're not going to have the pest pressure. You're not going to be susceptible to these big swings and, and so forth happening. And a lot of that, you know, you see things like root aphid and stuff, a lot of that's because... We're working in a stress situation there. But anyhow, okay, so you've got genetics, you've got the environment. Those are some base things we work with. Then we look at some of the really cool things like the true biological control agent. And the best example in the world are the predaceous mites. Every acre of strawberries, conventional or organically produced in this state, gets predaceous mites released into it to control the the bad mites. And, uh, so indoors, one of the things I always tell people, get a hold of some predator mites. You turn these little guys around, they get in there, they'll chomp away on the bad guy mites. And most of our predator mites you buy from an insectary or a mite rearing facility, those guys are pretty tolerant of the pesticides, so you can incorporate those two things together. And there again, you know, you said you've you've used Impede or Safer Soap, uh, one of those, one of those products those won't kill the predator mites. So sure. there you've got kind of a neat one-two punch that allows you to use true biological control along with some sort of safe and selective pesticide, and you get that double whammy. I tell uh, you, Tom, so if, I, if predators, I could ask you per-
4: per- one quick question. What about <laughs> how, how do those predator mites uh, handle imidacloprid? Because a lot of people in the industry will treat, will do a root drench of imidacloprid, which I, I know is a systemic. Any, any ideas on those? Yeah, imidacloprid.
2: Mean, hope- I know it from the field
4: egg side of
2: the equation. The Aminicol tends to not be really hard on them. Okay. And as I said, they don't actually, you know, interestingly enough, the mites themselves, a lot of the insectaries, we've been into predator mites now since the 1970s or before. And so we've been using them and releasing them in strawberries. And re- the reason that that's a value, but, you know, just like medicine and indoor cannabis, you've got a high-value crop strawberries, are of all the field crops that we've grown, they're $40, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in acre production costs, and you had enough money originally to pay for that setup to put a predator mite out there. Whereas if you take a low-value crop like, say, field barley or something, you never could get it done. We could, we knew how to grow the predators and parasites and insectaries and release them or even augment them in the environment, but it's that crop value that was involved in that thing. But a imidacloprid and... And the insecticides, because they go systemic into the plant, these predator mites aren't biting the plant. They're not eating plant uh,
3: gotcha. They're running
2: around eating the other mite. So they're eating a piece of meat, which is that mite, or you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, plant, the phytophagus mite, as we say to use the science term. The plant-eating mite is what they're feeding on. You know, one could imagine that if the plant eating might have enough of that in it, and a predator ate him, it, it would kill him. But it doesn't happen. Right. So that that's one case where the neonic's are pretty pretty safe on that. Um, you know, and then you think about using your miticide. You know, you mentioned avermectin. And, uh, you know, and I, I won't go to brand names, but Abernectin is a fermentation-based product that's been around for a long time. Very, very, very good mite control. Unfortunately, it's a little toxic for what we want to do in medicine and cannabis. And it's something that, in field crops and on strawberries and stuff, the predator mites we use, they're tolerant of that as well. So it's kind of hard to grasp that you're putting out a miticide aside the name tells me I'm killing mites with it. Well, how come it doesn't kill the predator mite? And as I've said, we've selected mites over the years in these insectaries that tolerate the tools we're using. So there again, you have people that were smart enough to integrate the production tool wow. with the, what they needed to be successful. Kind of cool, huh?
4: Really cool. Really cool. I, I love the I love the idea of beneficials and those biological controls, man. Oh yeah. Now would you well, would you, you recommend have, yeah. releasing?
0: yeah b- beneficials in the, in you know a smaller g- indoor garden situation um, in your IPM would you be I mean I, didn't, I don't I never've never used them indoors unless I've identified a problem because you know it's a bit expensive probably to re- depending on the release rate r- rates and when you're doing it. but do you recommend if I say, hey I know my, my, my garden is mite free. Should I still be releasing beneficials at a you know different rate just to have insurance policy there?
2: No, nah, you don't want to do that. There's a, there's a there's a thing about, there's a thing called the disease triangle, and that's just a nice diagram in a PowerPoint slide I would show you that shows you have the host, which is our plant, our cannabis plant, and then you have the pest, and then you have the predator in this case. We'll, we'll keep talking about mites because we're all seeing those in our hit minds right now, hopefully. Not from some crop experience that you've had, <laughs> but anyway... Because yeah, they're a drag. You do know, Nobody likes mites, and you know I get calls, and you walk in, and somebody goes, "Oh, I got these webs all over on here, dude." And I'm going, "Oh man, it's uh, bad. Just run away. Turn around up. and yes, run away." When you get exactly to the webbing scene, it's bad Exactly. What so I was back thinking. to the focus. <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, dude. So back to the focus here. You have this situation. Think of this triangle. You have to have enough food. You have to have enough pests there for the height, the predator might, to actually be able to eat it and live on it. So if you imagine, uh, another good example is think about aphids on a rose bush. When the aphids start to build up to where you see a whole bunch of them, what happens if you stand there and watch? Well, ladybugs start to come in, green lacewings come in, little parasitic wasps. There's a lag period between when you have the, the pest population starting to go up in a, in a population growth curve, a little bit behind that is the predator catching up with it. But there's always that lag phase in between. If you try to put the predator out there and there's no food, they just die. There's nothing there. It's like somebody goes into Home Depot and buys some ladybugs. They take them into the garden and release them. And the ladybug looks around and goes, there's no fucking food here. I'm flying away.
3: Yeah, so they what, leave, right? I, okay. I said he was going to keep it after
2: them, man. Yeah, there's a bunch of aphids, they mow down the aphids, and then they leave. So those are general predators. But if, if there's kind of a thing where, if you think about, say, another example would be, you've got this lag phase between, say, you've got a rabbit population that's building up, and then the foxes are building up based on the rabbit food, and then you, that brings you right to the immediate question. What does fox say? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You, know, you get people thinking about that lag phase deal there.
3: Oh so
2: back to, yeah back to I'm sorry I didn't mean to do that but back to your point here um, there's no reason to prophylactically or on in an insurance basis put these predators, parasites or even true biological control agents, things like insect virus or those things that actually would cause disease because if there's not a host population big enough to support that, you don't get any of that control happening. So that's, the, that's one of the limitations to true biological control. And what we actually, we have a term for what we're doing with these predator mites. We call that um, inundative, like you inundate or you overwhelm. It's an inundative release. A living pesticide, if you will, is being released to run in and chew up that population. And when it gets done, the cool thing about predator mites, you know, if you look at predator mites, there's the one called the Red Destroyer. It runs around at like what would be 200 miles an hour on our size. <laughs> it's racing around on the plant leaf, and it's mowing down aphids. It's just an amazing little killing machine. That's
3: so awesome. nature's
2: figured all this alien stuff out a long time before anybody else. But so biocontrols are cool. They have the limitation that you have to have a population. You have to have a balance. And you guys, I'm really big on the value of products, whether it's uh, – fertilizer or a pest control product, value, if I put on my marketing hat, is the cost of the product versus the efficacy. We've got some really bitchin' biocontrol agents in the world, but they're so expensive that we're never going to get for the amount of control we get with them. They just are not cost effective. And it's frustrating as scientists because we're so excited with ourselves and how cool we are to understand these really bitchin' and cool interreactions and relationships in the world in our monocultures, but the biocontrol agents, the true biocontrol agents, they have these little narrow things where they're combined and they fit in the world. And that's why you often fall back against what I talk about as safe and selective products. If you're trying to get a predator to go down into your, your media where you've got a root aphid and chew off that root aphid it's going to be very difficult to achieve that, whereas if you can flush that soil with something like a, say, a safer soap type product, that's not a great example in this case, but some product like that right. a little bit more easy to use, you'll be doing that. So that's where we got practicality is another big part of this equation.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. d- does make sense, man. But, you know, in the industry that we're in, man, I imagine that you could afford or, uh, you know, our growers could afford some pretty high-end biological controls, you know, espe- yeah, espe- especially with the small indoor go- garden.
2: Yeah, I agree. And you know, the, the, what seems to happen, and I go to you know sit on information panels on this. We've known a lot of this in ag since you know before the Green Revolution. Everything was about organic inputs before the 1940s, when all the synthetic agriculture came along. We always used on-farm inputs. We did everything to use the balance of nature that we could, you know. And those in the old days, they had nasty stuff like lead arsenate, which was a broad-spectrum killer of everything that, you know, including people who were putting out, you know. So, but what you you balanced all that stuff. Well, so you went from having everything be organic and natural and on-farm inputs to this whole synthetic revolution, and that wasn't bad. I mean, we stopped the world from. Uh, a lot of people from, uh, you know, starving to death, but we now try to balance those things, and this has been sort of my whole focus on bug control. I, when I was a hippie at Riverside in the 70s, I wanted to go out in the world and work with safe and selective poisons, things like PT, biological control of insects, and that's what we were trying to integrate, ways to do this in the world. So that, you know, we weren't anti-pesticide, but we were were pro-production people. We have to make farmers money. We have to make profit or we're not sustainable in business. Right. But you don't have to do it with materials that are so disruptive. And so now, I mean, gosh, your generation's inheriting a whole bunch of cool stuff because you got all these tools back to your toolbox analogy. And, you know, again, like I said, we could, I could show a beautiful PowerPoint slide where you talk about all these different things. You got biocontrol. Again, let's not forget genetics and environment are huge. If you grow that plant with the right production inputs, good fertilizer, listen to what Jake's telling you about production. You got good water, you do your lights right, you got your temperature. You're not stressing these dudes and the stuff grows and it's a lot healthier because plants have a lot of natural protection mechanisms. Yeah, we stress it because we're growing a monoculture. We're demanding out of these plants an amazing production that's a whole lot different indoors and then outdoors, say, with cannabis. You look at that deal, and you guys know that better than me now. Sure. But the issue there is you look at that, you go, okay, outdoors I get stuff that I don't get indoors. When you get slimed out with mites indoors in a stress situation, or sometimes I'll get a call. I'm also a plant pathologist, so I'll get a call from some guy who's got, like, usarium world. Get a crop inside, and I go. Oh man, this is a big nightmare because your environment's wrong. You've got this stressed plant now, and you get a disease epidemic, and you just really got to stop and clean up and go back to being pure culture. So I think on that point too, when he discusses one main
5: main thing that the industry hasn't really seen yet in in, in this medicinal market compared to commercial ag, is rootstock. So what these uh, commercial planners
2: and, and farmers have done obviously selected rootstock from specific
5: genetics that they feel give them the best chance to not have this root rot, that all the fungal pathogens give them the healthiest root. And then they graft, you know, the upper portion of the plant is all a specific genetic for whatever fruit, so for an apple tree. You know, they get the rootstock, and then they graft it to a Gravenstein or a Fuji or a Dorset Golden. You know, they have all these, you know, higher
2: production fruit Plant. So sure. I think what our industry is going to see with all, you know, this, you guys
5: touched on it, Scott's Miracle, go buying it out. With this uh, industry coming out of prohibition, so to speak, there's going to be much more investment on a research firm from different companies that are investing in grafting. And I have a feeling like they may find that a Blue Dream rootstock is one of the, you know, strongest rootstocks with, you know, very limited, uh, you know, fungal, uh, Development that can come in their root. And you may find that a certain uh, nursery, like Darkheart or something, may start doing all blue dream rootstock and then grafting a gorilla glue top oh, that's to it. Awesome. And I
3: think I love that's really that. where
5: we're going to be heading. I mean, this this is something I'm looking at that I really think, uh, you know, that's commonplace in tomatoes and a lot of hydroponic food correction that I do now. Sure, so, anyways, man, on right? that note, I just wanted to say, you know, that, that's, uh,
2: that's a cannabis key when you talk about genetics. You know, you yeah, had cool comments, Jacob, on that one. and You know, again, it's. Like I said, from the field, go back to actually field-grown tomatoes. If you go into and buy some, uh, some, some actual real tomato seeds and you look on the little seed packet, down at the bottom, most people don't realize there's a little series of letters on there like V F N T. What that means is verticillium, fusarium, nematode, and tobacco mosaic resistance that's in that seed. And so right after World War II, we had all these hybrid plants that the plant breeders, there was a whole generation of guys and gals that worked on that whole deal. And one of the things I love about the cannabis market and the cannabis technology is we've had in the last two decades, or actually three decades or or more, actually four and a half decades since I was first dealing with outdoor cannabis and stuff, we've had all the Incredible plant physiology developed. We know more now about photosynthesis, light, nutrition, hydroponics. It's I'm I'm always like a kid in a candy shop as a scientist at one of the max yield shows because there's so much technology that's been developed in this market. And then when you look at the indoor production of real a lot of food stuff, your lettuce and you know your indoor tomatoes and your other stuff, these are things that will be direct spinoffs. Sort of like we got all the uh, cool cool metals and cars now that came out of the space race. You know, it's the same sort of deal. So we've had all the medicine market produce all this plant physiology and understanding, and now look at what we've got coming into the food production market. So some of the urban food deserts, like in Detroit and inner city, you're going to see hydroponics actually providing the, the food source and so forth. So anyway, cool stuff.
4: Yeah, definitely, definitely. We're going to have to get into that at another time with all the hydroponic and aquaponic organic controversy going on. I'm sure you got a heck of an opinion on that, no? Oh, yeah, for
2: sure. And <laughs> organics or organic production is awesome because what we're doing there is we're just talking about those carbon-based systems and nitrogen systems that are using uh, just all the natural beneficial insects and actually completing the carbon and the nitrogen cycles. But, again... Huge part of this integrated production management. We it all goes together. We can't really live in any isolated form on all this stuff. Right. And what we're always happy to do is target, you know, we could do a whole show, say on root aphids, or a whole show on mites, or um, you know, a whole show on uh fungal pathogens that we get in there. And we know all this stuff. The issue is and it's you know, I applaud you for what you're doing with the information shows. This is the total cool thing on how we get the word out and help people which is what I'm all about. I've always been about extension, if you will, of extending knowledge so that people can use it. Otherwise, it doesn't do any good.
4: Well, we love but it. It doesn't we, do any good to know this stuff if nobody's using it. And, and it's so nice to be able to level with somebody and say, hey, we're, gro- we're growing some cannabis here. Can you help me? You know, it's, it's just... It's oh, a, my God. Yeah, yeah it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> hey, so... Yeah, it, w- it was so
2: hard. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. of talking uh, over you.
4: Oh, no. I, I was just wondering about, you know, I've seen lately that there's... You know, I always thought of, uh, IPM and, and natural or biological controls as bugs and insects. Uh, but lately I've seen a bunch of things. Like I've seen this Met 52 product that came out and I've seen this Botanic product and they're, uh, these different, I guess they're bacteria or fungi. I'm, I'm not too familiar with either of them, but that, that's, are those one of those narrow range safe products that you're talking about? Uh, the, these, uh, are they beneficial fungi? Uh, do you know anything about, about those type of products? yeah
2: absolutely. you know I, I talked a lot about arthropods or you know mites and all that that big bug stuff, but the probably even more important are all the disease control uh, biological controls that are out there it, and so what you're looking at there again is you've got some uh, you've got some of the nat- you've got the good fungi and the good bacteria that actually colonize the plant and keep the bad guys out. That's the simple way to think of it. Sure. And if you think about what's going on in the soil, whether you're in a soil media that starts out sterile and then it gets life into it as we bring in plant material and we bring in organic fertilizers that contain these beneficial insects or, your, or excuse me, I misspoke, beneficial organisms, these biological control agents for fungal pathogens and disease control there's a number of, of biofungicide products in the market in ag. There's Serenade, which is a different, there's some different bacilli. We know enormous amounts of beneficial uh, biocontrol agents. And, what's, again, what's happened over the last many years, you've seen the development of small biotech companies that have come along, startups in these things that uh, we go, we put these into the crop, and what they do is they just basically outcompete the bad guys and keep your crop healthy. And the easiest ones to think about are like putting beneficial bacteria, things like mycorrhizae, beneficial fungi that are colonizing the roots, and they're keeping the bad guy water molds. Water molds are Phytophthora, Rhizoctonia, Pythium. Think of those as the little nibblers coming along to chew away your roots. The good guys go, and they eat at the table first, and they won't let the bad guys get onto the root. So that's the kind of the mental picture we're trying to do here. And what's happened is it's taken many many years. We've known about these biocontrol agents, but they're expensive to produce. They typically don't have shelf life, where you can't treat them like a you know jug of safer soap and haul it around in a hundred degree pickup truck. because right. these are living organisms. So you gotta you gotta use these things right. You gotta follow the instructions. But the totally awesome thing is you have tons of those products now. Not tons, but many of them, and the manufacturers are high quality. And they've got good use instructions so you can get that high-value biological control. And if you stop and think about it, instead of having to drench something with a fungicide, which is trying to kill everything in there, if you put these beneficial guys in there, they colonize it, you have a living pesticide.
4: Yeah,
0: yeah, so I mean, you it's awesome way thing. to look at it. Living you, pesticide.
4: But you touched on something. Yeah. When, you, when you take a uh, pesticide, you know uh, that just indiscriminately kills everything. As a matter of fact, my entomologist friend had told me that people were that were treating with imidacloprid, uh, they, all their all their uh, crops were getting attacked by some kind of mite. Maybe it was a spider mite or something like that. But it was something like by pull, by pulling away all the biological controls and taking everything away, uh, they were leaving the crop wide open for attack.
2: Yeah, again, it gets back to that concept of you know, back to that post World War II thing. We, if you rely on any one set of uh, any one tool too heavily, and you try to go in and control everything with, say, a broad spectrum poison, you, what will happen is Mother Nature figures it out, and something will be selected that'll go against it and overwhelm it. Right. And so that was the whole thing we learned with BDT resistance in that whole time frame. Now we try to manage all of these, even the even the broad spectrum poisons that we work with, we know as manufacturers of those materials we use them in rotation with other things, so we 're never selecting all the time uh, for that thing that 's going to overcome our tool so there 's the other thing that we've learned in the last forty years about integrating tools for pest management. But another thing that another real uh, just an interesting curveball in nature, all these, these uh, really nasty pathogens, as we call them, the water molds like Phytophthora, Rhizoctylium, all these soil these root rotting organisms. When you go in and you sterilize a soil, like use methyl bromide and sterilize everything that's in there, the ones that come back and colonize the hell out of that and immediately take over are the bad guys. That's one reason they're the bad guys. They're super aggressive growing. They are super good at getting in and chomping away on the plant. So when you come in and you sterilize the soil, the ones that come back are the, the bad Phytophthora, the Rhizoctopithium, all that stuff. So you get on that what we call the treadmill. You've got to keep using the poison. It's sort of like antibiotics in your body. If you're trying to kill the bad bacteria, instead of eating a holistic diet or trying to do stuff with holistic medicine where you're balancing everything positive in the organism to make it healthy, that's the integrated approach. It's that holistic approach. And, again, that's what we try to juggle in this. And there's a lot of analogies with human health. Plants and all these issues, but it's always fascinating. Again, I started out trying to save the world from broad-spectrum poisons with biocontrol and integrating the tools that we had—simple stuff like sulfur, oils, soaps—and those are all still really viable tools. But man, it is so important to take other things out of the toolbox. All the genetics, the environment—all those things come together. So. I'm beating that horse enough now because or that's a bad analogy. I'm beating those mites enough now <laughs> about integrated production management because we want to beat those mites. And then, you know, hey, I don't got anything against mites. If you look under the microscope, they're really cool little alien dudes running around, and they're chomping away like mad. And they have a right to be on there as well. It's just we choose to want to have the crop instead of the mites.
4: <laughs> yeah, when they start when they start paying half my power bill, then 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 they, then they can have a representation, man. But I don't like them till then. Yeah. They're sucking out my crop, man. Yeah, I don't yeah. Give them nobody, right to no farmer.
2: Yeah, no farmer. No farmer wants to lose yield, and it, I mean, I've been in some just heartbreaking things in life where you you walk into a field, everything was going along fine, and then some uncontrolled pest whether it's a fungal pathogen or a bacterial pathogen or an insect arthropod pathogen or a predator, or per- I mean, uh, a pest, uh, wipes out a whole crop. And that's a, that, I mean, that's devastating because you've lost all that investment. You've lost all the production of the system and that's where we lose sustainability, which is a topic for another day.
0: Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If nothing else, I like the visualizations, man. You got to think about when you're using something, you're not just killing the bad guys, you're killing you know, like you said, almost everything, and then the first ones to come back are the, the, the you know the bad stuff you didn't want in the first place, and you get in a vicious cycle of repeating applications.
2: Hey. Yeah, that's that old, that's one reason pests or pest species often have that in common. you know it's that whole deal where they're, they're, one thing that makes them of a pest status is they have that ability to outcompete a lot of times the good guys and uh, gals you know, the good ones. And so we've got that whole thing to be cognizant of
4: and think about. Hey, Dr. Tom, Jake was uh, teaching me a little bit about bricks before. And I, I wonder if that has anything to do with what you touched on earlier, when you said when the plants are, in, when you were talking about just straight up production, and you said when the plants are, are, are growing properly with the right nutrition and the right environment and the right genetics, that uh, they are, have a natural insect resistance. Can you help me understand that a little bit better?
2: Yeah, when well, bricks in a joking way is that they're lousy to build buildings out of when you have earthquakes. But no, that's not spelled the same. For those of you who don't know, bricks is B R I X, and it's the sugar index in a plant, and it was developed years ago as as, as a field test to talk about, like it came out of uh, wine and table grapes because you want a sugar filled grape, and so uh, that test was developed as a way to look at how much sugar was in fruit. As a fruit quality thing and know when to harvest and all that and so on. But what Jake's referring to there is if you look at plant physiology and you look at all of the complex uh, interactions that are in that plant growing, maturing, and producing all of these millions of compounds that make up what is in the harvestable part of a plant, whether that's a, a cherry on a cherry tree with that sugar that's in there or a table grape or some cannabis medicine that has all the cannabinols and stuff in it. Um, All of those things come through metabolic pathways. And what we try to do in an integrated production way is we try to have, we try to optimize everything in terms of fertilizer, the nutritional inputs, the water, the light, the CO2, everything that would make that thing grow to its genetic potential, we try to optimize it. A big part of these plants is they produce plant defense compounds along with everything else. And in fact, I don't know, maybe some of the cannabinols are plant defense compounds and originally evolved in some of those uh, reasons. Uh, We know many, many, many examples in in agricultural crops where the plant is resistant to stuff if it's growing healthily. Okay, so you've got all this balanced plant growing out here. It has some natural compounds and all this complexity of chemistry that is the plant growing BRICS is just sugar it's just a, an index of measuring how much sugar sugar is related to the maturity of it and sugars are the energy moving around and there's all different kinds of sugar but we so bricks is an indication of how things are moving healthy towards a harvest kind of way towards some maturity in the plant typically when the plants mature it's producing the sugars to store the carbohydrate in, in its effort to reproduce and give some food to seed But anyway, if you look at that whole thing and you take a plant and you really stress it, like jam it full of a whole bunch of nitrate nitrogen, which immediately overloads those systems and it pushes certain chemical pathways um, in certain directions, we can show you in field crops, if you overload lettuce with nitrate nitrogen, you will attract aphids like nobody's business. We know overnight you'll get a whole lot more disease. The good analogy in human nutrition is if you just had a Hostess Twinkie diet and you ate only refined <laughs> sugar and Hostess Twinkies, think how you'd look in six months. You know, mm. you'd be like that guy on the McDonald's Twinkies. Deal.
3: <laughs>
2: you know, yeah, you would be. You would be so jammed full. And I didn't just mean the sugar thing there. If you overdo any of the NPK nutrition and you, you just don't have a balanced system. That's where you come back to this idea. You know, when Jake would be referring to bricks in this thing, there again, it's an indicated indication uh, as an indices of how plant physiology is in balance. And we know with fertilizer especially and the one that was really, you know, again, we're going only back from 1945 when we really started doing all this stuff. We learned early on you don't want to overload nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, the big three. You can, you know, potassium is what drives sugar and bricks and things. We have thousands of formulas in grow more. You know, we have 735 fertilizer products, and we have all sorts of balances Jesus. that we've learned over the years. I mean, it's just amazing what we know on plant nutrition. And, again, back to the cannabis market, we've learned so much plant physiology in 35 years on this hydro indoor stuff that we've just created. I mean, we've broken just amazing frontiers in terms of understanding all that relation so there again you're in a cool industry that knows so much about growing and producing those compounds that you want in a plant so that's a really long-winded answer to a simple question on bricks easy one is don't have a brick house if you live in earthquake
4: land <laughs> <laughs> deal i'll take it i'll take it no it's awesome great, Dr. Tom. yeah this is great information uh, cool. I'm, I'm loving it man
0: yeah man you guys want yeah, to I'm... uh go ahead
2: no, go ahead. I was just going to say I'm happy to talk a lot. I know you work with Jake a lot. Um, there's other areas I, I tag along with Jake, and I've been really enjoying the uh, a lot of the uh, max yield shows. I sit in on the the grower information panel on the first morning. A lot of times I talk about distribution and marketing and some of that that stuff too, because I wear those hats in life. But to me, it all really boils down to my true pathogen uh, pathogen, my true passion in life. My true pathogen is like trying to make money. No. Ah, <laughs> <Anyway>. That's awesome. <laughs> no, dude, the, the thing really is, is that I really like to share what I know and help people to be successful in whatever endeavor they're doing growing plants. And the bug control side of it is really an awesome in part of life. And the biological control thing, I tell people in the, in a lot of the farming talks I give around pest control advisors who work out and hang. If you've never stood at a rose bush with your favorite beverage or substance in the afternoon and watched a parasitic wasp lay an egg in an aphid, then you're really missing a big part of the world. So go out, stand by a rosebush, look at some aphids getting parasitized or eaten by a ladybug larva, and you'll realize it'll just point out there again in nature how incredible the balance is and what diversity there is on Earth. And, uh, you know, we come along as humans and we want everything to go our way with nature. And it doesn't always work that way. That's why we define things as pests. But it's cool, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you'd be proud. I got a lawn chair sitting out in my, uh, when I grow my my plant, my cannabis plants outdoors. I'm lucky enough to have a spot to do that here in Colorado. And I go out there and definitely sit back with an IPA sometimes and just look at all this stuff flying around and. When I release some ladybugs, they, like you said, they, they don't go anywhere when they got work to do on my, my hops vine that definitely has aphids. And just watch it all, watch it all working.
2: Yeah, yeah oh, that's awesome, man. I can see it in my mind's eye. And I've worked hops for many, many years up there. I, I love the product from the hops. And I also, you know, hops vine aphid is always the best. And it's one of those things, it, it's just, it's just a, it, it just reminds you of how complicated and how beautiful this earth really is and how, what a benefit it is to be out and tuned
4: into that. It's just such good karma for everything. Agreed. My friend agreed. Hell
0: yeah. Well, let's wrap it up guys. Thanks yeah. for yeah dropping all the uh, information. Hopefully be lucky enough to have you on the show again. And uh, yeah, appreciate the support from such an awesome company like grow more and uh, coming on our, our show and talking cannabis and educating people and hanging out. Yeah, man, it's it's amazingly oh. powerful, man. This information is not
4: available, and and it really does change the way people behave inside their gardens. So, thank you so much, Doctor Tom, and big ups to our boy Jake for bringing him on, man. Good looking out, Jake. Yeah, for dropping science segment for me. I don't think I've ever said less.
5: I think I might have said less than a hundred words today, which is uh, which isn't too bad for me. Jake. So. Uh. Yeah, you know, you guys, listeners out there should really look forward to, uh, looking to the segment Scotty and I are going to do next week where we talk about synthetic fertilizers compared to organic fertilizers. Some misconceptions, I think, that are out there for organic farmers and, and, uh, have given what people call synthetic fertilizer, you know, um, mineral-mined elements is what we're using, uh, you know, food-grade salts, which is what I see a big conversion going over and in Colorado specifically, your, your area, Scotty, and dude, and, and these big shows and what what they're doing with it and the yields are getting and the quality with essentially what we're producing. And, and that's going to be a real cool, interesting conversation we're going to have for the listeners here coming up soon, so you guys should listen up for that.
4: Love it, man. Love it. Yeah, we'll get a hold of you next week and we'll do that, Jake. Yeah, like I said, I think I understood everything you said today, Jake. I don't even need to review anything, man.
2: (laughs) Well, I was going to make a comment, Jim, that if we were both talking, there wouldn't have been enough oxygen left in this car, (laughs) so we would have died. That's awesome. Anyway, I I, I like to talk a lot. I'm just blessed to be on here with you guys, and thank you so much. And uh, I would be happy at any time. I'd be honored to bring up any other topics related to Integrated production management, or the marketing, or what, any of the plant physiology and stuff that I know, and uh, I'm glad Jake's doing this on a regular basis because, and he's totally tuned into the production side and the and the nutritional side with everything else. So you're and you guys
5: do a great service in the world.
2: Uh, again, the, the the dissemination of information as our universities have dried up over the years in terms of extension and stuff has to fall into the hands of you folks, and it's critical to get the word out. Otherwise, people don't have any way to access the knowledge that humans have developed. And teaching is the most noble profession in that way. We've got to share because we've got to further the human race with this whole deal.
0: Definitely, guys. Well, have a good day. I hope you get some rain out there soon, Jake. Um, I know i got family out there, so every once in a while I'm thinking about, man, I just want to get some rain to Cali, right?
5: <laughs> push it out, push it out our way, push it out our way. The slopes have been dry, but I guess, unlike Breckenridge and where you guys are at, not an issue as a snowboarder myself. It's been a, a very sad season. But beyond the personal hobbies, the crops, you know, uh, as humans need food, we, we all need it. And, and I think people are getting. uh it's also exacerbated the need for hydroponic food production, something we can talk about in the future later. To where recycling water and increasing the area of crops in a smaller area uh, is what's happening. So, yeah, guys, have a great, uh, a great weekend, and uh, to everybody out there, thanks for listening. Uh, listening in our drop and science segments, you know, you guys give me the drive, and all the comments I get emails that grow more from everybody out there listening. Keep it up, you know, that gives me the the drive and the you know company's ability to keep me going with them.
4: Love Great. it man Love it Thanks, all right we'll guys talk, We'll talk to you next week guys Thank you Alright all the best man Alright
1: I'm uh,